educating, informing, entertaining. The Dan Parsons Show on 1499.3 KLIN. Hey, that Chase Porter is the hardest working guy in the studio right now. I tell you what, the news, the weather. Uh, thanks, Chase, for keeping us uh, up to date on all that. Well, welcome aboard to the Tuesday edition. We're so delighted you chose to tune us in. It's 510 on October 24th. Inform, educate, entertain. We try to do a little bit of that uh, every st- Thinking day, Monday through Friday anyway. Uh, yeah, we don't do a lot of shouting or grandstanding. We like to build up instead of tear down. Truth over tribalism and principles over partisanship. Well, I think we'll prove that again uh, today. But uh, a little headline before we get to our guest uh, uh, out of Washington, Republican Tom Emmer uh, abruptly abandoned his bid this afternoon to become the House Speaker, uh, withdrawing just hours after winning uh, the internal party nomination. Uh, once he became once it became clear he would not have enough support from the GOP colleagues for the gavel. Uh, so uh, once again, I forget which day this uh, that we're on, but. Uh, we're leaderless in the House of Representatives, so that's not good. Uh, just a reminder, programming note, speaking of Congress people, uh, Congressman Don Bacon is scheduled to be on the show a week from today, uh, Halloween Day. So uh, we'll see what happens between now and then. So we'll keep you posted on all that. But before we go any further, say hello to Mr. Johnny Cadillac, producer extraordinaire, Johnny How's your day? Oh, man, it's it's even better now that I'm here, now that we're doing the Dan Parsons show. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a good mood, Like even, even if it's just for the show, but let's let's do this. I'm ready. That's right. Man, how about that wrestling show we did last night? Oh, that, you know I'm still on cloud nine over are. that. Yeah, I know you are. And the Flatwater Free Press uh, story, I saw it on the front page of the Journal Star this morning, and, and one of the Omaha TV stations carried the story. So anyway, if you missed that, you can always back up and catch us on your favorite podcast platform. But yeah, Johnny. If you missed it, you should change that. That's right. <laughs> make it Make it right. Well, and you can follow us on the Twitter and, uh, excuse me, X, formerly known as Twitter and Facebook, to see what's going on. We like to carry on the conversation after hours. We'd be delighted if you'd follow us on there, interact with us. Well, welcome, uh, as we always do, uh, once a month, uh, Krista Yoakum, chair of your Lancaster County Board of Commissioners. Krista, how's your Tuesday going? Hi, good afternoon. Yeah. Well, yeah, so far, so good. It's been a good day. Good. Good for you. Well, I know there's a lot of things going on with the county board, and I so appreciate it, as I know our listeners do, to hear from you once a month, to check in, because, you know, um, there's a lot going on in this county, and and uh, as chair of the county board, we appreciate you taking time to keep us up to date. So any fun, before we get into the serious stuff, any fun things uh, you're doing this fall that uh, that you're enjoying? Well, I was just going to say that we're, I'm, I'm glad to be here to talk about a level of government that's functioning right now. <laughs> um, <Yes. laughs> I had a friend who said they're buying a gavel and they're tr- going uh, trick-or-treating as uh, the Speaker of the House. <laughs> I like that, yeah. <laughs> well, yes, uh, things uh, things are dis- uh, in disarray in Washington, but uh, you know we can come back to our local government and find things run a little, a little easier and... Uh, 
You know, I was, I, I, I saw today a former county commissioner who um, was in town for the uh, Wind and Solar Conference, gave the keynote address, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Mr. Mike Johans. Uh, does yeah. it seem possible that Mike Johans, here's, here's the political pedigree of Mike Johans. Uh, he started out on the county board, right where you're at, uh, then became mayor, then became governor, then became a United States Senator, and if that wasn't enough, uh, Mike Johans then was appointed uh, Secretary of Agriculture for the United States. So anyway, uh, quite the uh, quite the political pedigree. So it was, it was cool to see Mike today. No, and that was a great, it's a great conference, too. I'm so glad that we're able to host that here in Lincoln. Yeah, it was packed. You know, uh, mm-hmm. we've talked before, as you and I have talked before, about the need for uh, a convention center, uh, convention center here in the in our capital city, and and that's a good example. I think uh, John Hansen is the the chair of that uh, 16th annual uh, Wind and Solar Conference. They were packed. Uh, it's about overflowing in the um, uh, down at the Cornhusker. So anyway, well, that, um, that's good news. It supports the need for for a convention center. But I'm also that glad there were that many people involved in that in that that conversation around wind and solar. It's so important, and uh, yeah. yeah, I learned so much, even though I'm. Uh, involved in that industry, I always uh, learn plenty at that conference. Well, well, okay. Let's get into the board of commissioners, uh, Lancaster County. What, uh, what say you, Chair? What's going on? Gosh, where do we start? So, <laughs> one of the things that I'm really pleased we were able to do recently was sign that interlocal with the local with the city that we can put additional ballot drop boxes. Mm-hmm. at the four libraries in the city, in the different quadrants of the city, trying to allow people to drop off their ballot when they're on the way to the grocery store or dropping their kids off or when they're at the library um, for convenience so that, you know, that nothing breaks my heart more than on Election Day to find out there were people that didn't drop their ballots off um, because they got too busy and they were left sitting on the coffee table or something. So let's make sure that people have that access. Well, and I'm one of those people, as I know you are, that we should make it easier for people to vote, not more difficult. And I know there's been a movement of election deniers around the country, and we've had some of those folks right here in our county that think we ought to make it uh, less convenient for people to vote and uh, allegations of fraud and uh, not secure. And it's we've proven time and time again that that's a fantasy, that's fiction. And so, uh, so yeah good for the county board to make it more convenient because uh, we yeah uh, it, it it's important i mean uh, and and as voters uh, i think a lot of us have not gone back to the old way of of uh, of going into the ballot box or the locations to vote and i respect that i, I just respect that tradition but gosh i'm one of those people that yeah it's so easy uh you mail me my ballot. We all live busy lives, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's an on-demand culture. I mean, from our how we digest our music, uh, film, uh, you know, it, uh, it ought to be more convenient uh, in a lot of ways in life. And so, yeah, that's that's another one I think is 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 warranted. Uh, people want it. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I was really proud to do that, and I know that it was brought up in our meeting that no, we had not received requests 
from community members that they wanted additional ballot boxes. <laughs> but I will tell you, once we did make that, <laughs> make that happen, we have gotten an outpouring of positive responses, people that really are so glad for that opportunity. Um, so I'm really, really glad that we were able to do that. Absolutely. Krista, we need to take this little break. Uh, please hang on if you can. Okay. Folks, come back and join us uh, with Krista Yoakum, chair of your Lancaster County Board of Commissioners. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Dan Parsons Show on 1499.3 KLIN. Hey, welcome back to the Tuesday edition uh, on another lovely fall day in the greatest city in America. Here we are. Uh, Well, we're delighted to have on the phone line our Lancaster County Commissioner, uh, Krista Yoakum, chair of your Lancaster County Board of Commissioners. Krista, thanks for sticking around. And so, uh, yeah, so what else is uh, going on in your world? Well, another exciting thing, and this really came out of a request from community members, is we just this week um, implemented a dashboard. If you go to the Lancaster County Jail website, um, you can see the demographics of who is in our jail, you know, that, that um, gender, race, uh, age uh, type of information. But you can also say see what types of crimes are being committed, what lengths of sentences people are serving. It really gives a good picture of what's going on in our jail and how many people are actually in our community corrections program, meaning that they are not in jail, that they really are in the community, um, but yet have to have some compliance things they have to do, um, since they did have some sort of a connection with the criminal sure. justice system. So I'm really excited, and I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to do this in response to a community requests. We've got people in our community. There's a group called Justice in Action. And they're really concerned about what's going on in our criminal justice system and, and what's going on in our jail, and as are we. <laughs> yes. And so this was in response to their request, and I'm loving it because, you know, I've told you before, I think, I'm not really a numbers person. And while we get reports <laughs> on a daily basis, these have graphs that you can look at. They've got uh, numbers that you can look at, percentages. It, it, it really makes a more meaningful presentation to me personally. And, and remind our listeners, Krista, where can that be found again? Yeah, Lancaster County uh, Cor- County Corrections Jail okay. is what okay. I Googled up. Mm-hmm. I can give you the specifics, lancaster.ne.gov slash 196 slash county dash corrections jail. Sounds like if you Google it, you'll be able to find it. <laughs> I'm Googling the way I go. <laughs> That's right. Very good. Very good. Well, and I also know uh, from reading... Uh, uh, the story in the Journal Star today, uh, that in addition to homeowners uh, being concerned about the rise in uh, uh, valuations that have skyrocketed, we also have uh, that problem or that challenge, I guess, uh, with, uh, uh, with low-income housing as well, right? Yeah, and you know, as, I mean, we we all know um, low income housing is on is in practically every conversation that I have. What a concern it is, both here in Lincoln, but across the state and across the country. And the last thing that we want to do as county commissioners is be punitive or cause any um, challenges in providing for that. But the problem comes down to uh, we. I think we need a legislative fix for this because. It has not been consistent how those valuations have been done, and we've had some 
who claim zero, that their property has zero value. And that goes against the Nebraska Constitution. Um, every property has some value. Now, what we want to do is make sure that it's valued correctly so that low-income housing can continue to be supported um, and built in our community. Yeah, here's the uh, headline from the Journal Star, uh, Margaret yeah. Reese's story. The, the assessed value of some low-income housing in Lancaster County has skyrocketed more than 500% yeah. in some cases, raising questions about the constitutionality of a state law uh, and creating a situation that developers say threatens the viability of affordable housing. So yeah, we don't we don't need those barriers uh, if we're trying to provide uh some low income housing. It's it's really a challenge. Yeah, Lancaster County was the first county to do this. Um to do this, but we were told it will be happening across the state and so the reality is there needs to be a legislative fix so that everyone understands how this process is going to work and that we're not inhibiting additional low income housing. Right, right. Well, and so, yeah, boy, it doesn't seem long long now. It seems by the time we get to uh, the 1st of November, it's kind of a, a, a track race till uh, the new session starts. And so come January, the uh, legislature will be back, and it's the so-called short session. Any bills that uh, did not pass or uh, didn't pass or were killed in the last session uh, carry over. So uh, are you starting, I assume you are, starting, sounds like, starting to put together uh, your agenda for the county uh, to uh, to present to uh, our state senators uh, come January. Yeah, we absolutely are. And our process is that we take input from other elected officials, other county elected officials, and our department directors because, you know, they are the ones that know what's going on. But I do want to say that this Section 42 housing, housing valuations, this low-income housing valuations, that is our number one priority. We want to fix that because, like I said, we don't want to stand in the way of, you know, much-needed rent-restricted housing projects. Um, so that is our number one priority. And, we, you know, we have some other priorities we want to expand, the county veterans' aid, and I know that there, there's already a bill being drafted regarding that. Um, we are looking to appeal to the legislature for additional funding for our rural fire departments for radios. Um, you know, there, I know that there's been a couple of stories I heard on NPR this week about our rural fire departments and, you know, they rely on volunteers, but they also rely on each other, um, fighting across fires across jurisdictions and responding across their specific uh, jurisdictions, they have to have radios that talk to each other. And they have to have radios that they can rely on no matter where they are um, in the county. And what we've got now, in this area anyway, and I would imagine statewide, are just pretty antiquated. And so we're, we want to fix for that. Yeah, well, that is important. Wow, and how about that, Krista? We didn't even yeah. practice this, but you swerve into my promo for tomorrow's show. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, Bill Kelly, senior producer and reporter for Nebraska Public Media, will be on to talk about to talk about his new documentary, uh, which premieres this week, uh, about the challenges faced by more than 450 volunteer fire departments across Nebraska. So, yeah, it, you set me up just 
just fine, Krista. Thank you. So, <laughs> well, that one's that one's kind of near and dear to my heart. Yes. You know, my husband was a fire chief in some of our, a couple of our rural communities, and while he had paid staff, he relied on those volunteers, and and that's so important to our communities. It absolutely is. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Well, Krista, as always, uh, I don't want to cut you off if there's anything else here, but uh, uh, so delightful for you to take the time to check in with us once a month. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And well, thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. We look forward to it every month. I know our listeners do as well. Well, uh, please keep us posted on anything in between, but we look forward to chatting next month. And uh, again, thank you for your service. Thanks for keeping our listeners informed about what's going on in the county board. Hey, and thank you for the journalism that you're bringing to this show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Krista. Yep, that's what we do. We're going to hold people in power accountable and lift up our local journalists. So uh, it's so important uh, in in the culture we live in. And uh, so, yeah, thanks for your work, Krista. Thanks. It was great talking with you, you today. You bet. Take care. Uh, Krista Yoakum, chair of your Lancaster County Board of Commissioners. Well, let me tell you what's coming up, as I mentioned, uh, uh, on tomorrow's show, in addition to Bill Kelly, uh, who's a longtime uh, journalist. Speaking of journalists, boy, Bill has been around for decades uh, in this state, and he's a senior producer and reporter for uh, Nebraska Public Media. But he's got a new documentary, and Bill's, uh, in, in addition to his reporting, he's he spearheaded several uh, documentaries for the station. So anyway, we'll talk about uh, volunteer fire departments tomorrow. And in the second half of the show, uh, we will preview Nebraska Storytelling Festival, which is coming up on Thursday, November 2nd. Uh, organizer Randy Bretz and some other special guests uh, will be joining us tomorrow. So don't miss that, including... Uh, a voice you hear on Fridays here on the Dan Parsons Show, Mr. Kevin Shen. Chef Kevin Shen is going to be one of those storytellers uh, coming up. So we will look forward to that on tomorrow's show. And um, coming up at the bottom of the hour after the news break here, uh, we'll welcome back to the show Richard Moberly, Dean of the University of Nebraska School of Law. Uh, and we're going to catch up on everything that's going on with uh, the Trump trials. And my goodness, uh, get your legal pad out, uh, because I know I know Dean, uh, Dean Moberly's got his legal pad out, and so there's a lot to catch up on. So we'll do that uh, after the break, after you hear some news uh, after um, uh, coming up right now. So so stick around and come back here on 1499.3 KLIN. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Educating. Informing. 
Entertaining the Dan Parsons Show on 1499.3 KLIN. Hey, welcome back to the Tuesday edition. We're so delighted you stuck around. Uh, my thanks to Christy Yoakum, chair of the Lancaster County Board of Commissioners, for our monthly chat. Uh, and if you missed uh, our chat with Krista or anything else, you can always uh, catch us on your favorite podcast platform any darn time you like, or just go to KLIN.com and find us there. Uh, I'll remind you again, coming up on tomorrow's show, Mr. Bill Kelly, senior producer and reporter for Nebraska Public Media. Uh, Bill Kelly has produced a brand new documentary that is premiering this week on the challenges faced by more than 450 volunteer fire departments across Nebraska. And in the second half of the show tomorrow, we'll preview the Nebraska Storytelling Festival that's coming up on Thursday, November 2nd. Uh, we'll be joined by organizer Randy Bretts, uh, Jan Bretts, another organizer, uh, and some special guests, including our very own Chef Kevin Shin. So tune in for that. Um, well, it's my pleasure to welcome back to the show Mr. Richard Moberly, Dean of your University of Nebraska College of Law. Richard, good. Hey. Yeah, good. You doing well? I'm doing well. Thanks. <laughs> We're both asking each other at yeah. the same time. I didn't wear a tie, and and you'll be able to see uh, how Richard and I are dressed. But I do. Well, hey, that tie could go with my jacket, Richard. I don't know that much would go with that jacket. <laughs> it would be a it would be a, a good looking tie to go with that jacket. <laughs> Richard, you've got your lawyer outfit on today, and I've got my PR outfit and, on today. And I have one of my finest wrestling cruise shirts on. You are yeah. looking fine, Johnny. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely, Johnny. Johnny, Johnny Cadillac, we always uh, appreciate uh, Mr. Producer Extraordinaire. Keeps the wheels on the bus and keeps us from, uh, uh, keeps us uh, honest and keeps us uh, flowing. Well, uh, Richard, let me just do a little bit of intro here before we get into the latest uh, on the Trump trials. You know, for the first 234 years of our nation's history, no American president or former president has ever been indicted. Uh, well, that changed this year, and, and simply keeping track of the many cases against our former President Donald Trump requires either a law degree, a great deal of attention, or both, and so that's uh, that's why we have you, Richard. Uh, but as we know, uh, the former president has been charged in four criminal cases and one civil case, uh, or maybe a couple of civil cases. In all, Trump faces 91 felony counts, any of which could potentially produce a prison sentence. Uh, and meanwhile, he is the leading Republican candidate in the race to become the next president. And uh, so I just as we've told our listeners before, the reason I reached out to you is I, you know, you can find a lot of uh, hyperbole and uh, yelling and screaming on cable news networks about this topic. I want to give our listeners facts and uh, unbiased facts. And so uh, I appreciate, Richard, you providing that good factual information yeah, for us. Happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So where do we start? So I think we look back over the last week. It's been eventful. In fact, you, you told me about something that happened today that I hadn't even realized. I've been in meetings all day. So the last week we've had three of the co-defendants in the Georgia uh, criminal RICO case. Yeah. Remember, there were uh, over a dozen defendants in that. Uh, three of them pled guilty. Yeah. Uh, two of them had requested a speedy trial to begin on Monday. And last Thursday, Sidney Powell and last Friday, Ken Chesbro both pled guilty, and today Jenna Ellis pled guilty. And the common theme among those three? All lawyers. All lawyers. None of them Nebraska lawyers, I'm yeah. proud to say, but all lawyers. How fascinating 
ha- that has to be for the person that leads our law school to see uh, these people of the court uh, being charged with the felony uh, felony charges. Yeah, and, and not just charged, but pleading guilty. Pleading guilty. Now, yeah, Sidney Powell guilty. pled guilty to a misdemeanor, but the other two were for felonies. Um, so, you know, for for anybody, that's a big deal. For a lawyer, that's put your law license at risk, and they avoided jail time because of of that those plea agreements. And um, you know, that's it's uh, it's disappointing to see uh, lawyers pleading guilty to those types of charges. Remind our listeners what that Georgia case is about. Sure, that's a, a criminal RICO. It's about the efforts that are alleged have taken place. Um, to it's a wide-ranging conspiracy. Um, uh, RICO is a conspiracy charge. You bring in a lot of different efforts under uh, that umbrella. Um, Sidney Powell was involved in voter machines, uh, kind of confiscating some voter machines in North Georgia to try and uh, prove that they were uh, fraudulently tabulated. Ken Chesbro uh, brought claims, uh, really con- um, uh, thought up the theory um, that the Trump campaign could have false electors who right. would then go and be counted as the electors from those states instead of um, the duly elected electors. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, they, they uh, that so in that case, it, you know, it includes the call to the Georgia Secretary of State to uh, ask for 11,000, 11, yeah, some three, votes, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a wide range, basically, um, what Georgia has alleged to undermine their electoral system. So... How many former Trump attorneys in that case are left? Uh, Rudy Giuliani's in there somewhere. I think he is in there, too. Um, I don't know. (laughs) How many times do people say, I don't know, on this show? But uh, I don't know how many are left. Um, Some of these, I think Sidney Powell and Ken Chesbro, at least, I haven't looked up Jen Alice, were also unindicted co-conspirators in in the the D.C. case. case. In the federal case in D.C. So... uh, uh, Special Prosecutor uh, Jack Smith, can he use their their Georgia case uh, in in the federal case? Well, they will be. He will be watching, and mm-hmm. and part of their plea deal was to um, testify truthfully in a case against uh, former President Trump when and if that goes to trial. Okay. Um. So the timing will be interesting on that. That case. You know, most people think that case will be one of the last to actually get to trial. The D.C. case. The, I'm sorry, the Georgia case. Or the Georgia case. Right. The, because DC, it's so Because it's so big and the, yes. there's be so much going on. There's so many different defendants. I think it originally was 19, 19. that I remember. And mm-hmm. so now there are 15. Um, and I think the, the D.C. case is in March or May of the spr- of spring. Okay. So, um, you know, whether uh, uh, Jack Smith can get those uh, attorneys, those defendants, to come and testify when uh, it will be interesting to see whether he could do that or not. Because many of those are unindicted co-conspirators in the federal case. That's could right. You, so could, they may still be under some threat of federal prosecution. Um, they've only pled guilty in the Georgia cases, um, but the, the federal prosecution is, is much larger. And so they, they might be able to take the Fifth Amendment, in other words, say, I, I'm not going to testify. Um, in the federal case, because those charges might still be outstanding, and they would worry about that. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. That's amazing. Okay, what's next? <laughs> so, well, the, the other interesting thing about with these all being attorneys is there has been some talk about whether Donald Trump would assert, but this called an advice of counsel yes. defense. Um, and this is really to combat most of these crimes uh, require some sort of unlawful intent. And so what a defendant might do is say, um, well, I worked with an attorney. I, I, they have to show that they told the attorney everything, and then the attorney gave them advice 
which they reasonably followed in good faith. Now, there's a lot packed into that um, reasonableness and good faith. Um, but if you can show, uh, that if Donald Trump can show that, gosh, I just I, I told the attorneys everything, and this is what they told me. And he's, and, he, and he's hinted at this on social gave, media. They gave me advice, and I they gave me advice, I and, and I followed it because mm-hmm. this seemed like good advice to me. Mm-hmm. They're the attorneys, mm-hmm. um, you know. He and he's made these types of assertions on social media before. Um, Jack Smith in the D.C. case has asked. Um, has made a motion for the court to order Donald Trump to say, I think by December 18th, whether he is going to assert that defense or not. And if he does, I mean, it, it's a it's a nice defense for him, but it also opens up. Uh, it, it, it basically he has to withdraw any attorney-client privilege uh, objection, and so the prosecutors could now start talking with attorneys and look at emails and notes uh, that they sent back and forth. Uh, because it would no, no longer, longer be privileged, be protected, right? If yes. you're going to take that benefit of saying I followed their advice, then the other side gets to look at well, what exactly were those conversations? Well, and they've pled guilty, and so they're going to tell that. I mean, they've that's part of the agreement. They're going to tell. Yeah, they're the going to they're going to certainly give it to all the Georgia prosecutors. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how much interaction there might be between um, Fonnie Willis in Georgia and Jack Smith in D.C. Right, right. Um, the uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> now I've forgotten where we're going next. Where are we going next, Richard? So we've got some gag orders. Yes. Right. The, the, Can we call them gag orders, or are I, they? Uh, I think. I mean, that's that's yeah, that's what people call them. We'll yeah, call them that. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. And and we talked about this last time I was on the show yes. about um, the difficulty of holding someone like Pre- President Trump in the same way that you might normally. Right. Um, uh, shut down what a defendant and a normal criminal defendant might be able to say to intimidate witnesses or to um, mess with the jury pool. Uh, and so in both the New York criminal case and the federal D.C. case, okay. they have imposed orders um, restricting the type of things that Donald Trump can say about those cases, about the people who work for the court. Um, the D.C. one is a little bit broader, as I recall. Um, has to they can't say things about the prosecutor and that sort of thing but and it's it's a fine line to walk because she said well you still can say that this is an unfair prosecution you can still accuse the biden administration of unfairly targeting because part you. of his defense was or his argument was look you're trying to squelch my i'm running a campaign right and the current president is trying to put me in jail. Right. And this is my First <laughs> Amendment right to say these yeah. things. And I may say them vitriolically. I may say them um, in a way that you don't like. But I get to say I'm under the First Amendment. Yeah. Okay. See, we're at our first break already, Richard. Right. <laughs> this goes so fast. Uh, folks, uh, please come back. Uh, we're with Richard Moberly, Dean of the University of Nebraska School of Law. Come back and join us uh, in just a moment after these messages. Listening to the Dan Parsons Show on fourteen hundred and ninety nine three KLIN. Hey, welcome back to the Tuesday edition. We are delighted that you chose to tune us in here on this uh, lovely fall afternoon, and uh, uh, we'd love to have you follow us on the uh, uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, uh, and uh, and the Facebook pages. We'd love to keep uh, the conversation going after hours. Uh, well, we're joined by Richard Moberly, Dean of the University of Nebraska School of Law. And uh, Richard, before we dive back into everything that I want to talk about and on this, what uh, give us a little update? What's going on at the uh, at the uh, school? Uh, we we are in the midst of already thinking about the spring. We're getting our schedule together, and students will start registering for classes there. Um, but our our faculty is just out doing. 
doing great things. This mm. week we have, uh, as part of the UNL's U.S. Law and Race Initiative, we've got faculty members doing a webinar on affirmative actions, origins, and legacies, just to have people understand, you know, the, what the case, but this summer, but the Supreme Court struck down affirmative action in yes. higher education. Yes. And, uh, talk a little bit about that so people understand the background, sort of what we're doing today. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, they can make their own decisions about what it means, but people ought to know uh, where it arose from and, and what it meant. Um, our First Amendment clinic last week filed its first case. And I've been following that. Have you? You know, you know my passion for, uh, well, it doesn't have to be journalists that, that uh, those cases are about, but uh, a lot of times it is. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens with the case, but um, it's exciting for them to, to uh, jump out there. Um, and then our Children's Justice Clinic, which represents uh, ch- uh, children as guardians at Lightham. Our third-year students do that. They just got a grant from the uh, Women Investing in Nebraska. Fantastic organization. Gave them a grant um, to hire a social worker uh, to help work with nice. the children and our students to kind of manage these really complicated emotional cases where children are removed from a home because of an allegation of abuse or neglect. That is so important. Yeah, and and it's really important. You know, our, our students, of course, understand the law, but uh, the work of Michelle Paxton in that clinic and then also the social workers and our partner at the Center for Children, Family, and the Law, they bring in this other dimension of understanding the family dynamics and um, alcohol and drug abuse, and, and uh, it'll just be tremendous for the students. And, and giving those students that experience, real live experience right. uh, before they get their law degree. Right. I mean, it's it's hard to represent a six-month-old. They can't tell you what they want, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, they, we've they, our students have to learn all, all sorts of things outside of the law in order to do that job well. That's cool. Yeah. That's very cool. Thanks for asking. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's... Uh, that's our trade-off. You you get to talk about the law school, and I get to talk about uh, the Trump trial. So that's our deal. Um, well, let's go back and finish up a little bit on on the gag order, uh, because uh, former President Trump uh, was fined uh, five thousand uh, dollars by Judge uh, Enegron in the New York case. Yes, that's how I say it because I can't say his last name. Yeah. I say in the New York case. In the New York case, <laughs> right? Uh, because. Uh, The limited gag order that occurred when the former president's uh, false truth social post about the judge's (laughs) clerk uh, was not removed for the Trump's campaign website. So we find him. Right. And and this is um, this one's really not going to press the issue. Right. Because this was kind of clear. Um, they could say it was a mistake. Um, what will really press both the issue, the issue in both of these cases with the orders, um, is when he kind of pushes the boundary of what those judges might feel runs up against that order. And of course, a five thousand dollar fine in this case for for this person is not going to mean that much. But yeah. if we start talking about contempt, we start talking about jail time, um, then I think things will get very serious. And so, uh, it's we've yet to see. I think that line him come close to that line um but there's a lot more time left and and again just for our listeners why this is important is because at some point there's going to be a jury selected for these cases that and there are witnesses um so when he talks about former uh general malay and and that he ought to be executed that's going to be a witness he's listed Uh as a witness potentially in one of these trials so uh, and this is done all of the time in criminal cases to protect witnesses from being intimidated um, and to present uh, protect juries from being tainted. Uh, so, but ne- no one's ever run for president while having one of these gag orders, as far as I know. It's historic. Well, that kind of weaves into our conversation I wanted to have about 
just how are we treating uh, the former president? And is he being treated any differently than any other criminal defendant? Well, the answer is yes and no and everything in between. Um, I mean, this is unprecedented. And I think all of these courts and these judges and prosecutors uh, are trying to navigate this really difficult circumstance. And I think if we step back at the 10,000-foot level, trying to think about um, – uh, is are we a nation of laws or a nation of people and um and what is going to take precedent um and he's made the argument several times and particularly with these gag orders that I'm a president I'm former president I'm a presidential candidate and I, and when I was for, when I was president I took these actions that I should be wholly immune from uh, any sort of liability civil or criminal he's made that assertion in the DC case um and the the prosecutors are saying well, we can't have it so that the president is not criminally liable if they commit crimes. And so that this isn't a monarchy. Right, right. And that tension, I think, is going to come out in the face of these defenses that that President Trump is raising. And there are some factual, um, I think, arguments that he will make in something like the Georgia case. Like I, I called the secretary of state because I was I'm the president and I was nervous that there was federal voter fraud. And I should be able to call and figure out whether there's voter fraud. So I did that in my official duties. And, of course, the prosecutors are saying, no, you, you weren't president. You were actually a candidate at that point. That's right. Yeah. And it's all mixed in together, too, and in his mind and in lots of people's minds. And to separate those out is going to be really challenging, I think, for the prosecutors on this legal argument and on these factual arguments. What was your intent when you made those calls? Um, were you trying to make sure the law was enforced properly or were you trying to gain an unfair advantage um, that you shouldn't have as a candidate? Um, and and I'm, I'll be fascinated to watch that. I think it's all something for all of us to consider. Absolutely. Um, at what point can the criminal law hold people accountable or not because of their position? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is fascinating. It's, it's uh, like I said earlier, I mean, it's been 234 years of our nation's history uh, before we've had a current or in this case former president uh indicted for uh federal allegedly federal crimes and uh um wasn't there and i'm sorry i didn't we didn't do our pregame on this but wasn't there a motion in one of the courts oh maybe the georgia case or no it was a federal court uh to to televise the the proceedings oh i have not seen that so again yeah. we didn't prep sorry yeah. folks yeah, <laughs> we'll have to look that up again, for next time it's, it's just so unprecedented and uh uh, now, the Georgia case will be televised. Yeah, because... Uh, that, that's just how they do it yeah, there. But yeah. the federal one, that would be unusual. Yeah, I was listening to a blog, because, you know, I'm... Or, or a podcast, excuse me, and because uh, I'm into this, and so I take my walks in the morning, and I'll listen to <laughs> uh, some podcasts talking about this. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to take mental notes as I'm walking and jogging, and... Uh, but, yes... Uh, well, you're was, a glutton for punishment. Oh, I, I usually do it after you text me. I'm like, did you see this? I'm like, oh, I better read that article then. <laughs> well, uh, listen, Richard, uh, see how fast this goes. I, I deeply appreciate, I know our listeners do, to get the facts. Uh, we, You can find political rhetoric, uh, you know, the show before me and, and others uh, on cable television, but uh, I appreciate uh, the facts. Thanks for the opportunity, Dan. Yeah. Richard Moberly, Dean of your University of Nebraska College of Law. Folks, that's the show. We're delighted. Delighted that you chose to tune us in. Uh, come back tomorrow. Let's do it again. Have a great evening. Now go do good things.